Hello, I'm Carrie Gard and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Sometimes it can be a little bit of a distraction in the sense of where you're doing so much education, you want to just get to the work, right? And the outcome, right? Because you're there to, you wake up in the morning to drive the business. You want to make an impact. This week, I am sharing a conversation I had with Bryant Puccio and Teresa Woodiel. I had this conversation back in November, believe it or not. Um, but it's so prevalent and relevant. And I actually reorganized things a little bit because I think it goes hand in hand and, and falls in nicely with some of the conversations I've been having around what it means to live in a cookie-less world, what it means to have AI at our fingertips, um, what it means to curate the right content for the right audience. And this conversation brings both of those things together in a really tactical way that I think what Saren was talking about and what Catherine had been talking about is going to help you actually execute this in terms of account-based marketing. So Bryant and Teresa both work for Deep Instinct. They are partners in crime, so to speak. Uh, Bryant is more of the technical side of ABM, while Teresa is more of the strategy and brand. And that's the beauty of this conversation is you're going to get to hear both sides of what you need to make this thing happen. ABM can feel kind of vaporware-y, like you can't touch it or feel it or know how to like where where to start. Uh, it also feels very expensive and and with a lot of overhead and they make it feel possible. And with where technology is going and with where how we need to rise to the occasion of living in a cookie-less world and getting back to first-party cookies, this is a great episode to help you think about how you might start approaching account-based marketing. Real quick, a little bit about each each of them. So Brian Peluccio has 15 years of experience in and around web and MarTech. He's certified in inbound marketing, growth-driven design, optimized lead marketo, demand-based with experience, and with expertise in web Google Analytics, SEO, paid search, ABM, and various other digital marketing tactics. Again, he's a very clearly the very tactical one. Um, he also ranges from B to B to B to C experience, uh, even e-commerce, and across multiple verticals. So while he's now in cybersecurity, he has learned a lot in all these other industries, and he's bringing that into uh, Deep Instinct and the ABM world of. Uh, you know, that's one of the challenges with ABM. ABM really doesn't work unless you have a solid tech stack to back it up. And so he's going to walk you through what he's got going on. On the flip side of this conversation, we have Teresa Woodiel, who's his part, like I said, their partners in terms of ABM. And she's more the strategic thinker. She figures out how to get the right message in front of the right person. She's got the ICP down. She's got the voice down. And she understands what her audience really needs in order to help them make that sprint and make those decisions faster and become that first party cookie for y'all. So wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to hearing it. And uh, let's, let's jump on in. Here's my conversation with Brian and Teresa. Teresa and Bryant, thank you so much for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Carrie. So excited to have you. Before we dive into our conversation around account-based marketing, which we are going to unpack in depth, before we get there, 
tell me, um, I'm going to start with you, Teresa. What's your story? What do you do and how did you get there? Yeah. So I'm the director of ABM and integrated marketing here at Deep Instinct. Uh, in terms of if how I got here, it's uh, by way of multiple startups and enterprises and um, probably started, you know, in, in my view, started doing ABM before we had a, a fanciful name for it, right? At that, you know, this would have been, oh my God, 15 years ago where maybe even longer, actually, now that I think about it, um, where we we had accounts that we considered whales, right? And trying to break into those whales. And then we had our, you know, on the flip side of that, we had our um, transactional business and that was equally important, right? And so it's more the, the account side of it looks a little different, right? In terms of firmographics, technographics, and then what you're trying to do and, and land and expand. But that's probably a kind of a short story of, of how I got here. Brian, what's your story? What do you do? And how did you get to where you are? How did yeah. marketing find you? <laughs> I guess I kind of found marketing. So I'm the director of web and digital strategy. Um, not all that uncommon for most people kind of getting started in their career or figuring out which major they want to go down. I was kind of unsure initially. I was a business major and found my way somewhere along the lines and like macroeconomics figuring out this was not really for me. <laughs> it was kind of going a little over my head and I found my way into kind of a multimedia program where I learned a more practical approach, how to build websites, design them and learn a lot of other things from like graphic design and user interface and typography. Um, and that's kind of where I got started in my career is building websites in agencies, um, freelance, engineering teams even. And then um, I found my way onto a marketing team maybe about 10 years ago, a little bit more. Um, there was a startup, they needed to rebuild their website. And so they wanted someone in-house to not only rebuild it, but then manage it going forward. So um, I took the step in and I rebuilt it, but then you're not rebuilding the site every single month. So then after that point, it was also kind of this explosion of MarTech happening around that same time as well. And it was really kind of a good point in time, right place, right time to be in this position, to be kind of this more technical person in marketing, to really start to learn and absorb and handle all of these different pieces. You know, I, I a small startup, you manage, you wear a lot of different hats. So, you know, I, I built the website, I did the A-B testing, we had HubSpot. So we had like landing pages, email, the website in there. Um, so you did a lot, I did a lot of things kind of to Teresa's point before marketing ops was kind of even a term. Um, and so along the way in my career, it's been pretty heavy on the, on the website side of things. Um, but with a big passion on the marketing technology side as well. And so it's kind of been a balance in different roles along the way, sometimes more on the web side of things than I would like, but, um, always with an eye on marketing technology and learning, um, as much as I could in that area, even when it wasn't part of my kind of main responsibilities. Um, coming into Deep Instinct, the role really excited me because it was really an opportunity to take ownership of both sides there. And the opportunity presented to us when we joined, I guess a little bit more than a half a year, a year and a half ago, um, was we had the opportunity to kind of rebuild the, the stack however we wanted it. We kind of had a blank slate. And so um, That's the huge. company, yeah. And so it was exciting and just kind of taking all of the pieces of knowledge that I've learned over my career 
um, and really kind of embarking on this um, series of research projects of like for each type of product, you know, we had marketing automation, we had HubSpot in place and, you know, we kind of reviewed that and was like, well, you know, it does what we need to do for now. Like, so let's move on to the next category and at a, and at a cost-effective price point. Um, and so we looked at various pieces of tools there and we built the stack. Um, uh, Teresa and I had worked together at a previous company and she joined about like a month or a month and a half after I did. And then we started really kind of diving into the pieces of the ABM technology stack together. Um, we ended up going with uh, demand base on there. And then I think <laughs> we we launched it to like an MVP status in like four or five weeks and really just tried to deliver value to not only the SDR organization, but the sales team, you know, as quickly as we could to really kind of hammer in on this um, ABM centric motion that we were trying to build there. And we're going to stop there because you're giving the game away, Brian. So before we get into... <laughs> I tried to be crisp, but I'm like... Before we unpack all of damn this... Damn it! I forgot yes. some things. <laughs> before we unpack all of this, because we will. So hang on to your hats, y'all. I'm going to I'm gonna follow my process because I think it's important to realize that we're also all marketers and all human and all in sort of this growth bucket, growth boat together. And so... For both of you, what's the one challenge each of you is currently facing? Maybe it's the same, maybe it's different, but like from your different perspectives, because I see where y'all mash up. But before we get there, what's sort of the challenge you're facing? Do you want to take this one? Brian, you start and then we'll- Sure, I'll kick us off. Um, I think you have a lot of people in sales and marketing They've been in, they've been in the space for a long time, and so they might be used to hearing things a certain way or kind of how things have been done. And I think the challenge I see is from a technology standpoint is kind of having it not seem like it's this science project over here on the side. And it's like you sometimes we've been in conversations where you start to talk about intent data and you know how it feeds in and these accounts. Um, you know, our, our, our boss kind of uses the term digital body language a lot. And, you know, when accounts start showing these digital signals, like there may be something happening there, you know, maybe we're not hundred percent sure who it is, but we can kind of reverse engineer some things of there's some web traffic coming out of this city in the U S and we can look at LinkedIn to see, you know, which people live in that city that have these job titles. And, but when you start explaining some of these things, sometimes it kind of goes over their head and it's like, no, no, no. I, I kind of want to revert back to the way I've been doing things for a long time. So that's one of the challenges we've experienced and we've kind of reframed how we describe things. Sometimes we get a little too, to use Teresa's term, fanciful in how we describe things. Um, and so instead of talking about things from the different account journey stages that we've built in our ABM platform and we're moving this account from, we just say like, um, Here's the data to help you prioritize how you want to tackle your accounts. Yes, we're going to go after all of the accounts, but let's just start at the top with the ones that are showing the most signals. And I think that message kind of has seemed to resonate better um, versus like, well, no, we're only going to focus on these accounts that are showing high intent. It's it just figuring out kind of how to find that common language to describe it so it doesn't kind of become this thing that is like an unknown or I don't know what's going on over there type of thing. 
How about you, Teresa? Are you feel, are you feeling the same challenge, or is yours a bit different? It's a it's a I would say it's it's related. Where it's a little bit different is is also on the people side. And what I would say is that you know where the world is. If you think about buying right and how people buy, there's so much information at their fingertips, right? And so I think you know having a conversation around a buyer led motion is very counterintuitive to a lot of sellers right so i work directly with sellers i have one on ones with them we always come together and in things like that and there's always this piece of yes but we must educate them it's true we should educate them there may just be some that are in more open to the education than others and and really that's that's where to brian's point where um, sharing the data of here's why I believe what I believe, right? We're using all this data and analytics to help us or to help inform and prioritize where we're going. And, and so that that's kind of my, my nod to the education piece of bringing people along of why we're doing what we're doing and why it's important. So the buyer-led motion. Um, and then you've also got, you know, folks, um, the second point I would say, is there are folks that still, you know, have a traditional approach to lead gen, right? And to demand and, and what do we, what does that mean to them? Um, or you've got those that think ABM is just, you know, hunting the whales and the really large accounts. And that's true, but there's an aperture that you can apply where it can be programmatic, it can be industry focused or whatever those attributes are. So I would say those are, those are a couple of the key points that I, I tend to run in um, uh, tend to come across more often. I love that. I think both of you are experiencing something similar, but different. Um, I heard the stat that I think comes in handy here of like, apparently you need to repeat yourself like seven times. It's true for it to be sticky. You need to, from a communications perspective, it's over and over and over and over again. And I'll, reiterating and reiterating. Remember when we looked at all this data and we said, yes, that one's a go, you know, sort of a thing, but it's, you just have to keep reiterating it such that it sticks, right? Yeah. And I love yeah. what you're both saying in the education piece, which we're going to do here. So sorry, not sorry, but for those who are listening and who are like still sort of new to the ABM science project of it all, I do want to pull back and uh, bring everybody into our conversation of what on earth it is we're talking about. We're talking about account-based marketing versus lead gen versus demand gen versus all of the things. It's this new element of marketing that has sort of um, been a thing for a while, to your point, Teresa, in terms of you know going after the whales, but how that's evolved. And now it's sort of this own element. This I've worked with so many companies in the last few years, literally just few, two to three years, who now have their own ABM teams. It's happening, y'all. And so to help you all come into the story and help you all bring it to life for those who are listening, let's take a step back. Account-based marketing. Teresa, I'm going to start with you in terms of what this means to you. How is it, What is account-based marketing? And I'm going to have Brian answer how it's different than other things in marketing. So I'll start sure. with you, Teresa. Yeah, um, I would say just put very simply, it's it's really you've got a target account list that you're trying to get in front of, right? That's at its at its simplest form. That's what it is. That can 
<clears throat> that can take um, shape in a couple of different ways, right? Where you've got a whale account, like you mentioned, Carrie, you've got an industry that you want to target, right? That one to few, and you've got more of a programmatic approach where you've got a transactional business, you're seeing, you know, some element of your business take off within a, a certain sector or a type or some, some sort of attribute, and you're able to grow at scale, right? Or target accounts at scale. So, but fundamentally at the end of the day, it's it's um, taking the goodness of data and you're trying to um, target those accounts, whether it's the one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. And Brian, how is that different than demand versus lead gen? I think an important thing to to realize is ABM is is important, but it may not be the right fit for every type of business. Um, one one example that comes to mind is maybe where you you're very much driven on like a self service sign up where you kind of sign up, you create a trial, you put a credit card like there's one person and that person's going to sign up and they're going to. And so that may be a more traditional lead funnel where, you know, as to the notion that kind of people are more familiar with where, you know, you have the different stages, you, people are aware they're coming in, they're engaging, they're converting, they're becoming a customer. Um, when you get into more like mid market and enterprise where it's not usually just one person you have to reach out to, you need a champion, you need like a supporters, you know, there's different people in different parts of the organization. And Teresa says this a lot, like if it's just the one person in an enterprise and that person decides to move on to another company that deals like suddenly at high risk. So it's looking at it from a similar lens from the demand gen, lead gen part of it, but more from an account based perspective, where is this account in their journey? Are they just barely researching? Are they starting to look at your website? Are they kind of doing a little bit more research? Are they becoming not an MQL, but an MQA, like a marketing qualified account where there's a, a, a significant amount of activity happening? Maybe multiple people in the account are engaging in different types of ch channels from webinar to email to downloading your content. Um, and then, you know, as you progress down from like booking a meeting and setting up opportunities. And so, um, from a technology perspective, as Teresa mentioned, there's different ways how you would approach that. You can get on the whales because the payoff is going to be so much bigger, like, you know, six, seven figure deals. You probably will get a bit more personalized with certain things, but that's not scalable when you get into a large number of accounts. So then you have like your, the one-to-one, one-to-few where you might start grouping them into chunks. So you know, here's some in the financial services industry that are large or, you know, you start grouping them together and then um, one to many where you're just kind of going a little bit more mid-market or lower and you're kind of um, giving a similar message to various types of accounts, but still focusing maybe on the ones that are most engaged or not engaged or, you know, focusing your dollars in certain areas that way. So the big distinction, it sounds like, is really this idea of one person making the ultimate buying decision and being able to just target that one person to then go download that free trial versus a collective coming to the table and making an, a buying decision, which if it is a big purchase, so to speak, you're going to need 
a few people to buy in. Quick question on that. And I don't know who best to answer this. So I'll let you all decide. Where do you start? Like if you have this account that you're going after, do you start at like the, the C-suite, the VP level? Do you start at the manager level? Like where do you, if you need to get that buy-in or is it all just holistic and going after everybody? It, it kind of goes back to your point and Bryant's point, <clears throat> excuse me, of, right, when we think about complex sales, right, you're going to have multiple roles sitting around the table, right? You're going to have the ultimate buyer, you're going to have a technical champion, you're going to have a ratifier, you're going to have the user, right, the technical user and things like that. And so when you think about, you know, your business, right, a good way to understand, well, how do I tackle, where do I start? We'll start with what you know, right? Look at your look at your data. Where do you where are your deals coming from? Who's involved in those deals? And that's always a good a good starting point as a proxy, right? And then, obviously, you're going to be running programs in different channels and things like that. And people are going to be consuming your content. They're going to be visiting your website. You can use some of that intelligence to help understand, like Bryant was describing earlier. Of okay, we can see that this account and some of the activity is coming out of XYZ city in this part part of the world. We can get validation from that because we can see that these or we can see these people downloaded our content um, or did some things right. So you can start to you know triangulate between the signals, first party, third party data, right, and then people that are consuming um, as well. You can look at your historical data and understand what is my ICP and who's typically sitting around around the table in those roles, right? Buyer role, ratifier, technical user, champion, things like that, um, and use that to inform. All right, who when we think about account coverage and who we need to talk to, um, that's you know that can help inform. For us, when we look at um, our kind of process, there's no doubt that we we want to influence the C-suite, right? They are going to be the ultimate decision maker. They may not have the contract, but they're on the hook for the security, right, within their organization. What we have found um, is typically that technical champion is tasked with understanding what's new, what's latest and greatest, right? If you think about the kind of how accounts operate, every account has an MPI process, right? A new product introduction, typically that starts at the C-suite, right? Where the, the C-suite says, hey, we need to do this in our business to, you know, make us more efficient or more effective, whatever that might be. That initiative or that, that idea becomes an initiative, that initiative becomes a project, that project has people sitting around the table. And that's really what we're talking about um, um, in terms of influencing, but using all these different signals, right? Are your own kind of one loss business, where you're seeing engagement, who's coming first party, third party, where you see consumption of content and things like that, and where you're trying to educate. But those are some of the things that we use for us we typically start with a technical person. That's where we have the greatest success for a conversation, but then also for that to convert to opportunity. And then mid-level manager would be second below that. Okay, I'm going to pull this apart a whole lot. So bear with me. Uh, it right. sounds like you start with an initial audit with your <clears throat> existing data of, to your point, who are yeah. those audiences? And I love what you're saying. You, you mentioned this, sort of break down a couple of times, but let's pull this apart. So you have your C-suite who you need to influence, and then you have your technical champion 
yeah. your, um, your ratifier and I'm missing someone. Um, your users, your right? Users. So people that are maybe not part of the decision-making unit, but their opinion matters, right? They could be a security architect. They may not be the senior security architect, but they're important to the process. No CISO is going to go make a decision, or at least in my view, no CISO is really going to go out there without having gone to their technical folks and done their due diligence, right? They're, that's that trusted partner, um, that go-to person that's got the reputation in the organization. They are sought after um, for their perspective. Okay. So in terms of the technical champion, that it sounds like you sort of start in the middle in spiderweb. Like you want to influence the C-suite, but at the end of the day, what you care about is the person who not necessarily is going to use the product, but finds the product the most useful. We, I would say what we seek to influence all of those different buyer roles where we are most likely to have a conversation that converts to an opportunity is the technical followed by the mid-level manager. So think head of, director, someone that's got a team that cares about the tools um, and productivity of their team. How do I give them the best tools to be successful, right? And those are really the two buckets. It doesn't mean that we don't want to influence the CISO because obviously it's important. Their name's on the, you know, on the signature line when it comes to making the decision, right. but they don't do it in isolation, right? This is a complex buying process and they're going to have other people sitting around the table with them. Yeah. And I think the other piece to add there is um, uh, we describe it kind of the motion, the three motions we do here at Deep Instinct. So, you know, inbound and outbound, which is probably mm -hmm. kind of most people are familiar with that. And then the surround motion is the third one from an ABM perspective. And so um, for, like from a, from a C-level perspective, the CISO, I've seen various posts on LinkedIn or, or articles, like they probably get 200 plus emails a day from vendors trying to sell them stuff. And so um, there was a there was a, a specific post. I'm forgetting the person. I don't think it matters, but they wrote back trying to giving some guidance to sales. Like if I forwarded every single email that I get from a vendor down to like my security champion or whoever is that person, like they'd be chasing stuff all day. And so to Teresa's point, where we find the most success is kind of the director, kind of the middle management and then the, the technical buyer or the technical champion. But that doesn't mean we don't want to surround that CISO. And that's where kind of some more of the the technology comes into place where we can surround from uh, ABM advertising through whether it's Sixth Sense or demand-based, you can kind of tar focus your advertising dollars on certain accounts or in LinkedIn as well, You certain kind of job levels at these accounts type of thing. So that way, when the conversation progresses, this is at least the company the CISO has had some impressions. And I think that's kind of the challenge from the science project perspective, going back to the previous topic is the goal of those ads is not a click, a lead gen, you know, it's, it's really, it's a brand awareness piece because by the time that CISO is introduced to the conversation in a meeting and a demo, you know, maybe there's already been one or two meetings with like kind of the, the director and the security champion, and then they're bringing on more folks down the line. It's like, oh yeah, I've heard about this company. I've seen their ads on LinkedIn. And um, we had a, a, some anecdotal feedback here. 
um, from one of our uh, reps uh, in Europe where they asked, they were in that meeting and they asked the CISO and the, how did you hear about us? Oh, I saw you on a LinkedIn ad. It's like, oh, we got to put all our money there. And it's like, well, no, there's, there's a lot of different pieces that that <laughs> no. happen along the way, you know, and it's, um, but it, it's that education part about like, this is kind of all of the stuff that's happening behind the scenes. And, you know, there, there's a lot of complexity that's mm -hmm. in that from a technology standpoint, but it works together to help kind of um, reinforce, reinforce yeah. and accelerate those deals. So that way, when that director or security champion says, Hey, I want mm -hmm. you to jump on this call. It's not like, who's this company. And then they're, they're having to, to look them up and do the, some research. There's already been some impressions there from an advertising perspective. Teresa is laughing because I was making a ton of faces and hand motions because yeah. in my experience, Teresa, and I, I want to hear from both of you in this, I've heard and the data that we've collected, it's anywhere from like 14 to 40 touches before someone will buy from any given brand, especially if it's a six figure sort of purchase. Is that? I would, I would say it's higher. And let me, let me, let me be a nerd for just a second. Yeah, no, nerd, let's do it. Brian can, Brian can chime in too. So typically, you know, what we see, right. When you think about the Holy grail in digital marketing are the correlations, right? The correlations and what you see in your business. And then how do you tune your, your tech stack to listen for these, these different things. Um, what we are seeing, there are there's kind of an inflection that we see in our closed one business. And <clears throat> we will see in some cases, hundreds of touch points, like a whole, a whole, whole bunch. Well, let's, it's, let's clarify. What are you defining as a touch point? Well, and, and that's um, even what's visible to us. So, right. you know, there's attribution tech tools out there, right. For um, all the digital touch points that, the tool was able to capture and and i was thinking about this in my head when you're talking about a previous topic of um how do you find who you go after and you look at your data which is a good place to start but that's assuming like everything's based on like people process technology the bright people are following the right process and that's dependent on well yeah. did that did the reps even attach the people to the opportunity in salesforce for you to yeah. see yep. and so circling back on the question here is we look at the data that's available. So there's a bunch of tools out there. We use visible um, to see kind of those digital touch points. Did they go to a webinar? Did, were they at a trade show? You know, did they come on our website a few times? Have they downloaded these pieces of content on our website or in content syndication or, you know, different things like that. Those are the visible touch points. And assuming that all of the people that were actually around the room in the meeting are attached to the opportunity, but then there's all the, unseen touch points, kind of like what I was mentioning before, where those brand awareness pieces that are you're surrounding that CISO with a few ads or all the great stuff that PR does, which is hard to attribute to certain things um, just to help bring brand awareness. And another piece of kind of anecdotal data on that, we're at um, one of the large trade shows in the cyber industry this past summer, and someone came to our booth and and they said, Hey, my boss told me to come check you guys out. So can you talk, talk to me about what you do? And I, it was kind of a little comment there, but it just, it helps reinforce that. Like there's this brand awareness piece that's happening. That's always really hard to measure, but mm -hmm. 
But to Teresa's point, it is probably more than that because there's there's only so much that you can measure from a certain perspective. Yeah. And, you know, if we think about like using a tool like Visible, we're not even, you're really capturing the milestone moments, right? And so it's the the activity that's out there. But there's really, there's this inflection that we look for um, um, there. And what we've seen in our closed one business, it's probably well above 40 touch points. And we're capturing the milestones, not some of the other, all the little incremental mini milestones that are occurring in there as well. Um, I would, I would argue it's probably much, much larger. Yes, it's because when you, those milestones seem to be bigger than just a download, right? And I, so, okay, really tough question because this keeps coming up, especially with ABM, gate or ungate? (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I can give you, I'll give you my perspective. I'm kind of a, a three to one. And what I mean by that is three free, three free one kind of, you know, you get or, or give, right. And th- that's the trade. And so that's kind of something I've, I've lived by, um, now, the, the other thing that's really influencing that, right, is is a lot of the privacy initiatives that are occurring, right? We're not just California, not just, you know, the EU, but Virginia, other parts of the states, like this is really starting to take hold. So it's something that I think is there's going to be this tension between that piece of it. Um, yeah, but I'm that's kind of my that's my rule. Right or wrong. Uh, I I think I'm probably in the similar camp um, because sometimes, and Teresa mentions this in conversations we're in sometimes, is you need to find, depending on what type of business you're in, the watering holes where people go for information for the type of technology that you sell. And so, especially if you're like an, an up and coming or a newer or lesser known they may not be coming to your website to download your piece of content. So you kind of need to put it out there so that you can get a little bit more reach. Um, a lot of people have mixed opinions about content syndication. I think we found some ways to have it be fruitful for using intent data and kind of targeting certain accounts or even certain people with, within those accounts that are showing certain buying signals um, just to help make it a little bit more effective. But it's just another way to get your content out there in front of a broader breach, uh, broader reach of um, than you would just have on your website. And so it's kind of odd if you have it ungated on your website and then it's gated in, in some other kind of publication website. Yeah. And that, you know, that's a really good point just to kind of extend the thought around media. It's important to be where your audience is. And it's also important to take, you know, care to to Brian's point earlier when we first popped on um, around your own real estate, right? And that you're attracting and you're doing whatever you need to do to optimize your website and to get it out there and and really um, um, do that. So I would, you know, I would I would give them, you know, there was a piece of it where several years ago media was like here. Whereas now they're really, I think, starting to come into a little bit more balance of this inbound and outbound kind of, uh, not tension, but just kind of duality, if you will, in marketing. 
It definitely feels like more of a holistic approach. I don't think any of us are saying just to be crystal clear here that yeah. you should be doing ABM and ABM only. Like yeah. it, it, you do need to take into consideration all the things that both Teresa and Brian have said from lead gen to demand gen to PR. I'm going to throw SEO out there because I find it important. Yes. Uh, you, It is this balancing act between all of these elements and it is a tension too, because you're taking a lot of what you're saying in terms of, oh, what was the word you used? It was signals, right? You're taking all these signals from all these different places to then feed into who are those accounts that are acting and what are they doing? And at what point then does sales come into play? Which leads, before I get there real quick, you're talking about gating versus ungating. I just want to close this conversation out. What comes, you're talking about three to one. I just want to be really clear. Is it you give three free away first and then you gate or you gate that first one and then it's free just to. Yeah. So typically for us, right, where where we try to be very nuanced is our journey stages, right? So if we think about, you know, our journey stages in demand base one and we are targeting top of funnel, top of funnel, right? We just, we, we want to present ourselves in the thought leadership and say, hey, here's why we're a thought leader and we're an authority in this space, right? So when you think about it from that perspective, it's ungated. Now, as you're starting to educate them, they're moving through the buyer's journey, they're, they're an MQL, an MQA, whichever that may be, then you're starting to talk a little bit more about gates or, or things like that. And so that's, it's kind of, um, our perspective of it, it, it really is dependent on um, the buyer's journey and where someone is in their journey. But for us, I would say just we tend to start um, with ungated, but we we do a lot of testing, gate, ungate, whatever, and, and we're, we're running side by side um, in addition to some of that mid-funnel and more bottom-of-funnel type um, programs and campaigns that we're running. It sounds like the content matters too, like depending on what the content oh is, depends yeah. on whether, because that that's the intent signal versus thought leadership versus something that's a bit more of a how-to a, a down the funnel, uh, um, solving a very specific problem versus being more around how we approach complex problems. So uh, it sounds like intent matters within that. Yeah, content. I think um, if you look at, think in your mind about the visualization of a funnel, right? Mm -hmm. And you have the the number of accounts that are at the top. It's going to be too many to target or or it might cost more than you have the budget to try to go after all of those. So then it's it's trying to attract those. And you mentioned one, which was an important one, SEO, um, paid social. We found some good success with some Facebook and Twitter mm -hmm. without really spending a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, and just helping to drive to some of our blogs that our threat research team puts out, you know, like it's content that people will find useful. And so it's not gated because, and the point is not to get leads. It's really to, to filter down out of that huge bucket that's at the top of the funnel. Who are, who are, who are the ones that are interested? Who, who, who's, who's taking a bite, you know? And then you, and then that kind of moves them to Teresa's point in the journey stages, the, the account level journey stages. Once they come onto our site, then whether it's whatever ABM tool you have, it'll do some reverse engineering to figure out these accounts are visiting your website. 
then that's where you start narrowing in a little closer. It's like, okay, well, these ones are starting to bite. Like they're starting to show some interest in us. They've heard of us. They've visited our blog. They visited this account. Now let's switch up the ads to go a little bit more Legion focused. So they'll send them still kind of maybe some top of funnel content, like an ebook or something like that, but just try to get them to see, try to find the names. And then once a certain level of activity bubbles over, then it becomes like an MQA. And that's where we would have the SDRs focus their time. To be clear or not clear, I don't know. I'm we're we're we are our worlds in terms of the different marketing channels are sort of colliding at the moment. Um, and I think this is where we need to start being a little bit more tactical because we've been talking very holistically. But to bring this to life for people, when we're talking about you know more display ads or SEO or PR, that's actually outside of ABM, but it feeds ABM. Am I, am I on the right track there? Yeah. And what I would say, the distinction, go back to the aperture, right? Right. So you've got one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're scaling your programs based on that aperture, right? So when you think programmatic, you probably need more more awareness and reputation building, right? Help you plant seeds, exactly what Brian was talking about moments ago. Whereas when you're targeting one-to-one, it's probably a more direct path, right? Hyper-personalization, content is super, super important. The message of what does this account care about um, becomes super important. But all of those things ma- matter, but it's two degrees, right? It's not everything for everything at that point, right? It's not a go to the buffet and, and I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that, woohoo, you know, it's, it's <laughs> not that, right? And, yeah. and so it's being very strategic about what channels and what does my allocation need to look like, right? Mm-hmm. From a resource and a budget perspective. Okay. So let's bring this to life for people in terms of the tech stack that, and I know this is relevant to what you guys are doing, but I think that's helpful for people to understand why you're using what you're using and when that makes sense. It sounds like you're very sophisticated in what you're doing, which I think is fine. And then we can talk about some opportunities for people to get started who can't quite afford the full tech stack you're using and help them pull that apart. But just for where you currently are, which I'm sure took time to build up, but wherever you currently are, what is your tech stack from an ABM perspective? Yeah, and I, I guess I touched on pieces of that. You did, yeah. It's in the beginning, so we have. I mean, there's a there's a lot of pieces. There's two pieces probably every organization is going to have, whether they're going from an ABM approach or not. You're going to have a CRM. You know, most I people so. are going to have Salesforce, I hope and so. um, and you're going to have some sort of marketing automation tool. And so there's several out there. So we have Salesforce and we have HubSpot. And I think, you know, I've used several marketing automation tools in the past. Um, when we came in, I felt like for what we needed, you know, HubSpot did everything we needed and it, and it was at a cost-effective price point. And been in other organizations where you have Marketo and it's a quarter of a million dollars and it's like, okay, I'd rather spend that on other pieces of the tech stack. Um, and so... Um, then we started looking out more broadly. So then we came to the ABM perspective of the platform. Now we decided to go with demand base, um, for a number of different reasons, but if that's outside of your budget, any sort of tool that kind of de-anonymizes traffic, um, and there's several out there that says these accounts are visiting your website. 
I think is useful if you're kind of a little bit more limited on budget. Um, we went with demand-based to give us multiple pieces of that and the configurability of the platform as well. And so um, a lot of our kind of insights and analytics come out of that platform and it it feeds directly from Salesforce. So it pulls all the accounts that you have in there. And then there's the unknown, the stuff that's not in Salesforce yet. And it helps sort it into where an account is in their buying journey. Are they like not even researching? There's, there's you know, the digital body language is very cold. And then there's like, okay, maybe they're starting to look at some webinars or some articles. They're just kind of starting to research medium research, high research, you know, marketing qualified. We've set up a meeting with them. We have some opportunities set up with them early stage, mid stage, late stage. So it helps sort the accounts for where they are in the buying process so that we can give um, a little bit more of a nuanced um, message to them. And that was kind of some of the mess, some of the things were, so if an account is very high up in the funnel, we'll probably advertise to them more blogs because they're, you know, we just want them to, to look at our content, find it useful and also see which accounts are coming on the website. And that's, that's so part of, I just want to be really clear. You're using demand based. And when you're talking about, um, D I can't say this word, it's de-anonymizing. Dion, de <laughs> The anonymizing. The anonymizing. The I'm going to fix on, I'm going to work on that. Um, but you're talking about, and you're talking about being able to see account base. So you're not seeing individuals in terms of people and their email addresses and who they are. You're looking at it from, um, these are the companies that people work for and the collective within that organization are, are interacting with your brand. Yes. And I think that's, um, because they haven't downloaded any content, they haven't filled out a form on your site yet, but you're starting to see kind of the breadcrumbs of like some interest starting to happen. And I think um, we have integrated demand base with Google Analytics, so we can kind of dive in a little deeper there to see, okay, there's someone from X account visiting our website. Oh, this account's visited our website five times in the last week. Okay, so then with the power of the two tools together, then we can start to say, well, where's that web traffic coming from? Oh, well, four of the visits were in New York and one of them was in, you know, somewhere in the Midwest. Then you can start to kind of reverse engineer it a little bit to okay. say, okay, let's look in LinkedIn. Let's see which people live in these metro areas that match the titles we're trying to go after. And it may not be the right person, but at least you're starting to hunt in, in you know, you're starting to fish in the right side of the pond a little bit. Um, and I think that's where, you know, the, the pieces of the tools come together, like demand base has some, you know, and, and I think the other tools in the, in the space have it as well, some built-in keyword intent data that you can configure in the system to say, here's the keywords that are important to me. And now show me which accounts are showing interest in these keywords. So that's kind of like what's happening off your site. Um, but it, it just, it just tries to give you more signals than you have. And I think the other signal that we're infusing into there as well is, you know, not all intent is created equal. So the keyword intent, you know, even people coming to visit your website anonymously is still very kind of top of funnel. And then, but if you, if you step outside of our B2B kind of scope here, like in your personal life, when you're just kind of browsing around and then when you actually go onto like Amazon or whatever, and you start reading reviews, you're a lot closer to making a purchase decision. And so, there's plenty of sites out there like G2 and, you know, trust rate, like where you can have review level 
um, data for which accounts are looking at which categories of products. And so we have that infused into the system as well um, to see, um, we, we use a couple different review sites, but um, we plug that data into demand base to say, okay, here's the accounts that are showing kind of research level, top of funnel intent. And then here's the accounts that are maybe a lot closer to a buying decision because they're actually comparing you know, X to Y in the same category that we're in, or they're actually comparing us to our competitor. So maybe we should kind of try to jump on that right away and raise that to the top of the priority list for the SDRs. And so um, it's really just trying to use the data available to us to increase the hit rate or the accuracy rate, whether it's the SDR or the, or the salesperson. Um, you know, it's not going to be 100, but hopefully the the accuracy, you know, the hit rate is a little higher. And then there's other pieces of the puzzle as well, like visible, just to really tell you which of the pieces or programs that you're running are are making the most impact. Because sure, this program could have generated a lot of leads, but if you just look at it there as a leading indicator, maybe not many of that progressed into an opportunity or close one business. So depending on how long your sales cycles are, you can't always make decisions on close one business. So you start looking at some of those leading indicators, but as stuff starts flowing through and maybe you look at this maybe, you know, twice a year or, or yearly, you can start looking at, okay, the programs or the channels that we invested in, which ones were starting to perform better than others. Um, and then I think the other main part of the tax stack, tech stack as well um, is, uh, the sales automation, so outreach, sales loft, those are the, we decided to go with outreach, but um, so that way, to Teresa's point earlier about where are we finding success, that was the tool that we used to help find that because uh, the sequences that we've built out in there for the SDR team, um, I don't remember, there were 15 touches or something like that. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. see which mm -hmm. at which stage in that sequence are we finding the most success with which type of people where, where is that aha moment or that inflection where, where we're starting to get them to pick up the phone or they're actually writing back? And all of that data feeds into Salesforce into the activity log, which Visible can create touch points off of that. We can then look at demand base to see the accounts that are showing the more signals of, of responding back in. And so, you know, you, if you go back in time, like a few years, you had the conversation of best of breed versus best of suite. I never really liked that conversation because you kind of, you either get stuck in with one vendor or you get stuck with a bunch of spot solutions. And so I've always liked a small number of tools that are highly integrated with each other that talk well to each other. Um, and so that, that was part of the decision-making process as well of like, which tools can we talk to each other? Because I'm looking at it from a technology point of view I'm really trying to minimize the manual, the manual touches. We still have a little bit of that in our process now, um, but I'm trying to minimize that because, you know, especially when you're in a smaller company, you're stretched very thin. You, it, it's tough when a lot of your time is stuck with kind of uploading this file here or this manual, manual steps in the process, looking at automation in a lot of ways. But um, the big, the other big reason we looked at demand basin is that we looked at having parity there between the ads. So then they have a display advertising network. And, and I think Sixth Sense has the same thing as well, yeah. where you can look mm -hmm. at the different accounts and I want to target these accounts. And I think there's new functionality that's recently been released around, I want to target these certain people within these accounts, but we try to have parity with that on the LinkedIn side as well. And so we're 
the same accounts, you know, if you're top of funnel, you're seeing blogs, then we're targeting those same accounts in LinkedIn and showing blog, the same ads there and as they move down. And so that's kind of that part there of like the automation between those two platforms, between LinkedIn and demand base to really remove manual steps there. So that, so all the accounts are always kind of in the same process and across different channels. There's, <clears throat> Carrie, if I may, there's two yeah, quick points I want to make. Um, so when we think about, you know, Bryant was talking about the data, right? Put yourself in the shoes of sales. If you're someone like me that's working with a sales organization and you're kind of not necessarily frontline like sales is, but you're just a step removed from it. Um, it's super, super important to be able to say, hey, seller, you know what? I know this account is based in the Bay Area, but we can see that the activity is coming out of a different location. Let's go take a look over here. And then that is a whole different conversation, right? When you think about game planning around the accounts that you're trying to help the seller get into and break into, that's a super, super valuable um, um, conversation. The second thing that I'll say too, right, and this goes back to the point that that Bryant was making on channels, investment, allocations, and things like that, right? So if your sales cycle is pretty long, there are ways that can help inform your decision-making of where you put your allocations. Because truly, at the end of the day, that's what's most important is not that you got the money, but how you spent the money. That's what's most important. And so some of the things that we that we look at to help inform our decision making around channels, you know, media spend or things like that is how did it contribute into, did it go X, Y, Z into the sales process? Did we get to proposal? Did we get to development? Or did we just get to discovery and then we got the boot, you know, sort of a thing, right? That's a way to help inform decision making on your programs, Um um, of how you allocate your dollars and how you allocate your spend. So two things I want to round out here as we close out our conversation, which we could go on so much longer, I promise you all. Um, but uh, I do want to be cognizant of our time. Two things. One is it does sound like it's not traditional um, advertising. Like when we think of advertising, I think advertising and ABM sometimes gets lumped together. And I think I want to be, from what I'm hearing y'all talk about, it feels much more thoughtful than that. And it actually feels more like an analytics play. You know, it's really, I think that's very insightful um, because, you know, there are things that we're doing that help us form our messages, right? If If an account says, if we're targeting a financial institution and they say, hey, we can, we need to improve the efficiency of our operations, right? What that means is digital. And if you think about the message that you need to create, that's time to market, right? Because the more accounts or the new um, members that they can bring on board digitally is going to be a lot faster than someone walking into a bank filling out a form, right? There's still people that need, that like that human touch and things like that, but most people are making the transition, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of this digital world and things are always on and, and, um, but, but yeah, yeah, well, that's true. There, there's another side to it, but yeah. in the spirit of business. I, I agree with Teresa's comment about kind of calling it out on the analytics side, because it's, 
stitching the data together so you're not you're not wrangling data all day and the the tools are kind of helping you come to the insights you need um but helping us connect the dots really yeah it, I, really it's connecting the dots i think there was um our performance marketing agency really kind of unlocked this for us of feeding some additional data into the Google Analytics integration we have with Demandbase of not just which accounts are visiting our site. And obviously GA has all of the location, you know, the session data, but where, but also feeding in an additional custom attribute of, okay, here's this account, but which journey stage are they in, in our ABM platform? So that really unlocked a lot of things for us because then we can start looking at Twitter and Facebook and Google paid search and Bing or, or Google display and seeing, okay, we spent this money. Maybe they didn't convert because it's top of funnel stuff, but which journey stage was that account in? And then we can see, well, actually Google display brought a lot of the right type of accounts in or surprisingly yeah. enough, paid search brought a lot of opportunity stage accounts in. And so, and they're looking around our, so that was really a piece there where we started making some more informed decisions on channel spend and normalizing the data because it's a little difficult. And so, you know, demand base calls it an engagement minute, you know, from their acquisition from Engageo coming in, but um, normalizing the engagement minutes across the channels and how much are we spending per engagement minute on each channel? And then saying like, okay, well, yeah, I'll spend more because they're more bottom of funnel versus top. And so making those types of decisions, but it's, it's the big piece is really kind of pulling the data together so you can make those informed decisions. And because um, Teresa says this a lot, there's a lot of complexity yeah. in, in the, the platforms and, um, and it sometimes like it's not a set it and forget it, or you can't just like, you know, plug it in and it kind of runs itself. Um, there's, some configuration a lot of times. And so um, that's been another big part of just the team that we have over here of kind of looking at the tech stack together and how we pull the data um, and how we kind of make sense of it. Um, my last question to both of you, because we, we've been dancing around it, but we haven't been clear about it, is how the sales team fits into this. And it sounds like it doesn't work unless the sales team is on board and you're engaged with them and then how you engage with them. So could you talk me through how those pieces connect together to really pull the string through and make that sale at the end of the day? I um <clears throat> I, I I think, you know, when when um we really kind of lifted the hood on demand base one, we're using not classic, but demand base one. Um they were like, this is magic. I don't know what you're doing what <laughs> you're doing over here. This is magic stuff. And, and so it was really enlightening, I think, from that perspective. And they were all kind of, okay, hang on a second. Let me understand this again. And, um, you know, there, there was the, that, that initial kind of, they were there. And then when you start getting into the data and, you know, conversations and this and that, and then you really start getting into um, I think the game planning, game planning piece of it. All right. How are we going to break into that? Right. You get really into the tactics of here's a point of entry. Here's a point of entry. Which one do we think will work? I can do this or that. And, and so that from that perspective, right, it gets super creative. And I think very kind of execution orientation of, 
helping them break into it. That, that's the fun piece for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, what if we try this, you know, sort of a thing and you get really excited or at least I do. And then Bright and I, you know, I always like to say Bright and I in the day together. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's been really, it's been really great. The other thing too, that I'll say is sometimes it can be a little bit of a distraction, right? In the sense of where you're doing so much education, you want to just get to the work, right? And the outcome, right? Because you're there to, you wake up in the morning to drive the business. I mean, that's, you want to make an impact, right? And so sometimes it can be a little bit of a distraction and you start getting into the the sausage making I don't enjoy that as much. I don't mind the education, but I really don't enjoy that part of it because um, you you have targets, right? Mm-hmm. You you want to reach your targets and, and get your impact. So it it you know it ran the gamut to shiny object. Holy cow, this is amazing! Tell me more. To then you start to get into the you know how we apply it, the doing piece of it, and then you know once you get the meeting or something like that um, it gets really exciting. Give me more, you know, sort of a thing. I think there was, you know, a conversation Bright and I were having with one of our, our, um, executive sellers in, in, uh, Europe. And he was saying, I like what I see. I need more. Like he saw some closed business coming in. He was like, I need more. I need more. I need more. Well, budget is finite, right? Sort of a thing. So it's like, okay, how are we going to do this? Right. And that becomes a little bit different conversation. I think, so I just want to wrap this up with what I heard us talk about today from the in terms of account-based marketing and the funnel of broad to um, consideration to intent and the audiences that y'all highlighted around that from, I got to pull my notes. I took so many notes. I can't tell you. Like, <laughs> I guess hopefully it was, hopefully we were six, six pages of notes, y'all like it. I, I hope everybody listening is doing the same thing um, because I think there's just so many things you said that are so important from, from the funnel to the audience of, Oh, you had this, you had some good audience names that I want to just pull back to the, are you talking about the buyer roles and stuff like that. Yeah. You had buyer the, the ratifier, technical, technical yes. champion, yes. Yeah. a yes. blocker, you know, that's another role. Oh, too. I did you hear about the blockers? You know, we don't like the blockers very much, but <laughs> technical user ratifier champion and end users. And, and now we have blockers y'all now we have blockers and ultimately um, the buyer role. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, so well, the technical kind of like user, the- you guys finding that aha moment in that technical user and not putting so much into that C-suite, I think was really important in this conversation. And then the inbound, the outbound, the surround, and then your tech stack, which I think is very sophisticated and not everybody needs to go build that like right now, but they can start thinking about that, those building blocks. And I think you layered those in, Brian, you layered those in really, really thoughtfully. I actually wrote them down in order from um, Salesforce to HubSpot to outreach to Google Analytics to demand base, LinkedIn, Google search ads and visible like it's almost an order of how you sort of want to layer these things in to then pull apart those analytics to build that plan around how you're going to surround that audience and then bring them through the sales cycle in a really intentional way. So thank you both for so much information. I'm going to listen to this again. And I, I encourage users to do the same to really unpack this of how to approach account-based marketing. I don't know that we've heard 
um, such a really thoughtful, I've, I've talked about ABM before, but I really love how you've layered in these three elements from the audience to the funnel, to the, to the tech stack and how you pull those things through so thoughtfully. So thank you both. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. Yeah. yeah. All right. Take care. That was my conversation with Brian Pluccio and Teresa Woodiel. If you'd like to learn more about either of them as individuals or understand more about their tech stack or how they approach ABM, be sure to reach out. Link to their profiles is in the show notes, as well as their company, Deep uh, Instinct. Thank you, Brian and Teresa. What an awesome conversation. I'm so grateful to have had both of you and your and your perspectives hand in hand. It was awesome. And thank you to our listeners. If you found this episode helpful, please like, subscribe, and share. This episode was brought to you by MPG Marketing, our agency that accelerates the mission of cybersecurity vendors via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellison. If you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketing.com to apply. <laughs>